Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. At the core of every contention and striving and division and discord, whether it's in a church or a business or a family, you will always find at the core pride. What causes fights and quarrels and striving and discord among you, James asks? It's your pride. This is why God hates pride. Because of what pride did in heaven first and then on earth. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Proverbs. When you experience dissension with others, what's the cause? When it comes down to it, there's an ugly weed and at the center of the root is pride. This root can go down deep and uproot the foundation of anything you're trying to establish. Today, Pastor J.D. says this root needs to be pulled out before it gets bigger. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Philippians chapter 3 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. He said to this church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, do what I do. How many of us would say, do what I say, don't do what I do? (laughs) Well, it doesn't work like that. Oh, I wish it did. They will do what we do. They will imitate us because it's not so much what's taught, it's what's caught. Verse 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. This reminds me of uh, a Larry Burkett, who's now with the Lord, Uh, one of his sayings. He was the founder of Christian Financial Concepts and uh, just a great uh, ministry on uh, finances and budgeting and even business uh, by the book. But he had this, this saying about how that every time you see debt referenced in Scripture, it's always in a negative context. And such is the case with this verse. This is so true. The borrower is servant to the lender. And here's the problem. The rich rules over the poor. Those who are poor can be subject to the abuses of the rich who can oppress them and take advantage of them. Verse 8, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. This is speaking about one who is dishonest, who uses intimidation and fear and anger, and it is a promise that in the end they will fail. Everything they try to do will be met with failure. Everything they sow it will only reap sorrow. It's as one said, you're sowing your seed in the wrong field. The ladder of your life is up against the wrong wall. When you get to the top, that's when you realize it. 
How many times at the end of life, I heard one say it like this, I have yet to meet a man on his deathbed, moments away from death, ever say, man, I wish I would have spent more time at work. I wish I would have spent more time at the office. No, it's usually the opposite. Here they've come to the end of their life. They've sown, they've worked hard, they've used all of the worldly ways and methods of obtaining riches, and for naught. They come to the end of their lives, and what do they have to show for it? Nothing. Nothing but sorrow and regret. Verse 9, he who has a generous eye, this could be better translated, who has a single eye. It's kind of like what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6, about if your eye is dark, then how great is that darkness? It's the evil eye. But here it's saying the one who has a generous eye will be blessed. And here's why. Listen very carefully. For he gives of his bread to the poor. I'll tell you, God will be no one's debtor. And God will always take notice of those times when we bless those in need. And when we're generous that way, then God is the one who will repay. And it is a blessed life. Think of it this way. When you've given benevolence and been generous and given to somebody in a time of need, how great did that make you feel? How blessed were you? We know it's true that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. The reason for that, and there is a reason for that, is because that's how God made us. That's why it is such a blessing. It is such a, a fulfilling feeling, if I can say it that way, for lack of a better way of saying it, when you give generously to those in need. It just does us so good. And that's the way God intended. I think about again when Jesus is writing, Matthew's Gospel records it. He says, when you give a glass of water to the least of these, it's like you're giving it to me. It's like you're giving it to me. Verse 10 I want to spend a little bit of time on. It's kind of a doozy. Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. You promise? Yeah. Stay with me on this, and bear with me as I expound on this. You know how it is, and it can be across the board, whether it's in a church family, or a business in the workplace, or even in your own family, if you've got somebody that is cantankerous and contentious and loves a fight and likes to stir things up, you'll forgive me, but on the authority of God's Word, they got to go. And as soon as they do, 
all of that striving, all of that discord, all of that fighting, it goes with them. There have been a handful of times that we as a church have graciously and kindly and lovingly asked somebody to leave the church. We did it biblically. We warned them once, as Titus says, warned them twice, third time, have nothing to do with them. Jesus takes it further, stronger. He says, you go to that person, if they don't receive it, then you take two or more witnesses, and if they still don't receive it, you take the church leadership. This is Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And if they still don't receive it, then you treat them as you would somebody that works for the IRS. I hope nobody works here for the IRS. No, a tax collector, basically, or a pagan. You, you get them out, you cast them out, and what will go out with them is all of the striving, all of the division. You know, I think the question needs to be asked and answered, why is it that God takes division and discord so seriously? We in Proverbs chapter 7 read the list of six things that God hates, the seventh an abomination to Him. Abomination. And what is it, the seventh one, that's an abomination to Him? It's the sowing of discord amongst the brethren. This contentious mocker and scoffer, critical of everything and everyone, especially the pastor. This is the guy that has roast pastor for lunch on Sunday afternoons at his place. I mean, they're looking for somebody that they can just, I mean, spread their vitriol. I mean, they thrive on it. They live for it. They want the contention. And again, there have been a handful of times where there's been somebody that has been sowing so much discord within, and the church at the time was relatively small. And the reason we had to ask them to leave was because if we didn't, they would have destroyed that church. We would not be sitting here, and I would not be standing here today if we did not do that it was the hard thing, but it was the right thing to do. They had to be cast out. So let's answer the question, why does the Lord take so seriously, and why is it an abomination, this sowing of discord, this contention, this striving? It's because that's what Lucifer did in heaven. And look at what has ensued throughout all of the generations in human history because of it the sowing of discord, the contending, the contention. And by the way, at the core of every contention and striving and division and discord, whether it's in a church or a business or a family, you will always find at the core pride. What causes fights and quarrels and striving and discord among you, James asks? It's your pride. This is why God hates pride, because of what pride did. 
in heaven first and then on earth. And look at the damage, the destruction, the death that has ensued. Get them out. You know, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, I mean, you want to talk about, this is supposed to be, in his first epistle, we have this love chapter. Oh, we love the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, right? We recite it ever so eloquently at weddings. We put it to song, love is. And here's this list of all of the things that love is. Oh, just warms my heart. Do you know why he wrote that chapter? (laughs) He wrote it because he was rebuking the Corinthians who were boasting about how loving they were. Do you know why they were boasting about how loving and accepting they were and tolerating? Everybody is welcome. They were boasting about it, so proud of it, because they even had somebody in that church there in Corinth that was having sex with his stepmom. And they were tolerating it. And they were just, hey, we're just going to love on him. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? You think that's what love is? That's not love. This is what love is. And he starts going down that list. That's how we have that chapter. You know what he tells him to do in his first epistle? He says, you get that guy, you cast him out of that church like yesterday. And he even goes as far as saying, and you give him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Paul, dude, Where's the love? No, you get him out. You kick him out. You don't let him come back to that church. You give him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. If you really love him, that's what you'll do. That's what love is. If you really love him, I mean, obviously you don't love him, because you're letting him destroy his life and his family, and how many people's lives. That's not love. You really love him? Then you get him out and give him over to Satan. Let Satan work him over, and he'll come to his senses. Just, but you got to get him out. So they do, to their credit. The Corinthians kicked this guy out of the church And then in 2 Corinthians, they go to the other extreme. I mean, you got to love Calvary Chapel of Corinth. (laughs) I mean, they go to the other extreme. So now the guy repents. Satan works him over. He comes to his senses. He forsakes his sexual sin, and he wants to be restored into the fellowship. And they're like, no, you ain't coming back, dude. And Paul's like, what are you doing? Forgive the guy. God's forgiven him. He's repented. It worked. We gave him over to the destruction of his flesh by Satan, and it worked. And now he wants to be restored. Restore him. Do we have to? Yes. (laughs) That's what love is. If you really love the guy. You know, Jesus says, speak the truth in love. I think it means 
not just speak the truth in a loving way, because it is true that it's not so much what we say, it's how we say what we say. But how about this? You ever thought about it like this? Speak the truth because you love. See, if I really love you, I'm going to speak truth to you. If I don't love you, I don't care. <laughs> what do I care? That's your problem, dude. That's not love. I tell my, in fact, I just told her this on our walk, that we were walking our dog to Kailua Beach when I coveted and repented. But, um, and I just told her, I said, you know, the reason that we're so hard on you is because we love you. I mean, think about it. If we didn't parent you the way we're parenting you, it would be an indication that we really don't care. Go ahead and juggle knives on the H3. See if I care. That's your problem. She said, what about the H1? I said, H1 too. What does it mean? H1, H3. H2 for that matter as well. In other words, the point being is if I really love you, I'm going to speak the truth to you. If I don't care about you, then why, why, why would I bother? They'll figure it out. You know, they're going to either learn the hard way or the you know, easy way. And I don't know about you, if you're anything like me, and you probably are, sometimes we just have to learn the hard way. So this verse, I believe, is a uh, very powerful truth, and it can save us from a lot of damage and destruction and sorrow and grief and regret, and not just us but the lives of many others as well. You have to understand that so many people will have their lives impacted by this. I've seen it on the mainland, sad to say, more times than I would care to recount, but I've seen this not done when those causing strife and division and gossiping and spreading rumors and assassinating characters, and I've seen the destruction that it causes, and I've seen lives ruined, I've seen marriages ruined, I've seen pastors' lives completely destroyed. They're not in the ministry today, they're not even married today because of this, right here, verse 10 because somebody did not have the spiritual spine to cast out that contentious person that was sowing discord. Get out! Get out! You're not going to do that here, because left unchecked, Satan has an open check. He can fill in the amount of the destruction that he wants to cause. You know, sometimes I'm on the receiving end of emails from uh, people all over the world that will tell me, particularly on the mainland, they'll tell me about some devastating church split that all started with one guy. I heard a statistic, this is many years ago, that it usually ends up being a group of about seven people for every hundred people in the church. So if you have a church of 100 people, seven people can destroy that church of 100. It was in the context of how many pastors leave the ministry. And by the way, that statistic, which I've shared 
uh, in the past. It used to be 1,500 pastors a month left the ministry. Now granted some because of moral failure, but most because of what happens in a church when the scoffer, those that are sowing contention and discord are not removed from that church. I know of a pastor on the East Coast, uh, they take this so seriously. If they even hear a hint of somebody whispering the whisper campaign, did you hear about so-and-so? They're gone. They have a membership at that church. We don't have a membership as a Calvary Chapel. They have a formal membership. They are excommunicated. I mean, because they know what the potential is for that to spread, and how many lives will be destroyed because of it. It is one of Satan's most successful weapons of mass destruction, if I can say it like that. All right, let's move on. Verse 11, he who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. Would you agree that somebody that, I mean, they're just so gracious. Their words, as the Apostle Paul says, seasoned with grace, and their heart is right. I mean, they don't have any malicious intent or, you know, selfish motives. I mean, the motive of their heart is pure, and their words are just full of, they're just gracious people. Are they not attractive people? Are they not people you want to be around? Will not kings and leaders and presidents and rulers take notice of somebody like that? I think of Joseph. I think verse 11 is personified by Joseph. This was a young man who loved God, had a pure heart, and I just wonder how when he spoke, it must have been with words that were so wise, for one thing. Otherwise, there's no interest on the part of Potiphar to hire him, put him in charge, and then subsequently Pharaoh. <laughs> I mean, he must have, there must have been something so different work hard with your hands so that you can win the respect of the outsiders. This is uh, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. In other words, if you live that kind of life, and you're, you're walking in purity, and you have grace on your lips, you're just a gracious person, that's going to stand out. And people are going to be attracted to that. When they read the letter of your life, they're going to want you in their life as a friend. The words of wisdom the book of Proverbs provides weren't meant to only be applied to life in the author's time. They were also meant to benefit generations to come, including you. All ages and walks of life can benefit from this book in this modern world. Proverbs gives you practical advice for living a life that's pleasing to your Creator. It also shares insight for ways to interact with others to not only show love, but to model Jesus. Pastor J.D. will have more to share from Proverbs when you join us next time on In Spirit and Truth. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from Pastor J.D. at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
You can also subscribe to our podcast, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and even download our mobile app. This is a great way to keep Pastor J.D.'s teachings with you wherever you go, and even share them with others. You'll find a link to download at our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. We also invite you to check out Pastor J.D.'s weekend update, the Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. You'll find these updates on our mobile app or on our website. One more time, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you've been encouraged by this teaching in Proverbs and that you'll continue to study them on your own. Tune in next time for more right here on In Spirit and Truth. Oh.